Let me ask you to open up to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As I mentioned uh, last Sunday, one aspect of the upcoming mission trip is uh, that they have asked me on uh, next Sunday to lead something of a, of a mini conference. Uh, a couple of sessions, a couple of churches are coming together uh, for this little conference. And it was a little unclear at first exactly what they were uh, asking me to speak on, but going uh, back and forth with the pastors. Uh, and then what they were asking for, uh, what they felt that their congregations could really benefit from was some teaching related to Christian parenting. Christian parenting. And so over the last week, uh, my focus uh, was moved away then from our studies in Luke and in Romans and uh, was focused on putting together this material on Christian parenting and one aspect of Christian parenting. And so if you're wondering why are we suddenly in Ephesians 6 this morning, that's why. Uh, if it's okay, you're my practice group. Um, but also in putting together this material, personally, I found it very convicting along the way and helpful. And I pray that the Lord will bless us as a church uh, as we think through some of these truths that are here. Uh, I want to read Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. And of course, this is... The very word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, in this letter from Paul to the Ephesians, uh, the, the book basically splits itself in half, with chapters 1 through 3 being theology, doctrine, glorious gospel truth, and then chapters 4 through 6 being primarily application. How do we now live in light of the glorious gospel truths taught in chapters 1 through 3. So Ephesians 1 verse 3 begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he just moves forward unpacking that, talking about the redemption that we have in Christ, the inheritance that we have in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2.8, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, not of works. It is the gift of God that no one should boast. Just glorious truths about salvation that are unpacked for, the, for us in those three chapters. And then you get to chapter 4, verse 1, and you have the hinge of the book. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So here you are as a man, woman, a boy, a girl, and you have been called by God into this amazing salvation in which you now live. 
And Paul says, as application, here is the key principle, seek to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so that's the umbrella over Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 6. And as he begins to make particular application of what it looks like to walk worthy of this calling to which we have received, uh, he eventually comes to talking about the family. Uh, In chapter 5, verse 22, he begins to speak to wives. In verse 25, he speaks to husbands. And then in the passage we just read, verses 1 through 3, he's speaking to children about their relationship to their parents. And then in chapter 4, he speaks to parents, and particularly fathers, about their relationship to their children. I think it's interesting in verses 1 through 3 that Paul really only gives one commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he backs that up with one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, So what Paul has to say to children comes directly from the Ten Commandments. Uh, So even though we are New Covenant Christians, and those Old Covenant days are gone, and the Old Covenant that God made with Israel is obsolete, as the writer to Hebrews says, Paul saw no problem drawing from Old Testament commands to teach moral principles to New Testament, New Covenant Christians. And that's because God's moral character does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that he was in the days of Abraham or the days of Moses or the days of David. He is that same God today. And the laws that God gave to Israel, though unique to them and given for their particular nation, are built on abiding moral principles that remain true at all times and all places. And so all of that is said to say, don't ignore your Old Testament. Make use of your Old Testament. The things written in your Old Testament were written for your good and your benefit. And we're inspired by the same Christ who gave us the New Testament. Uh, It's also worth noting that Paul quotes this commandment and then seems to expect that these Gentile Christians in Ephesus are already familiar with it. He quotes this as something that they already know. And these were not Jews predominantly that he's writing to. The church in Ephesus, we think, was mostly Gentile, people who grew up in a pagan background without the Old Testament scriptures. And yet Paul quotes this command. He says, this is the first command with a promise. He seems to assume that these Gentile Christians knows what he's talking about. So even Gentile believers, even the children of Gentile believers were expected by Paul to have learned and to know the Ten Commandments. I just think that's important. Now, what I want to focus on is verse 4 and the command to fathers. And in particular, I want us to think about Paul's command that fathers bring up their children in the instruction of the Lord. Uh, Discipline is important, and he mentions that. Discipline is very important. We could talk at length about the role of discipline in the Christian household. 
But my focus today is on the other part of the command, teaching our children, raising them up in the instruction of the Lord. Now, first, let me say a word to those who are here who do not have children in your home. This is for you, too. All of the Bible is for all of us. So don't check out because you hear me saying we're going to be talking about parenting and you think, well, I no longer have kids in the home or we just don't have kids or I'm a teenager, right? All of these things still apply to you. Uh, in part because you are a member of a church. And that means you have brothers and sisters in this church for whom these commands directly are, relate, are given to them, and they're going to need your encouragement. They're going to need your help. They're going to need your accountability. And so part of the ways that you love your brothers and your sisters in this church is by knowing these things so that you can serve and encourage and help your brothers and sisters who do have children in their homes. Uh, if you're here and you're younger, this is useful to you because in God's providence, you may one day have children in your home. And so this may be training for you for your future years of parenting that are to come. But it's also helpful to all of us because... When you're living life together as a local church, we all end up having influence on the children within the church. And so as you hear what God is telling parents to do, it should also cause you who maybe do not have children in the home to think through, well, as I have interaction with little Johnny, as I have interaction with little Sally, how can I be a part and serve the great mission that God has given to those parents Around me. Now, as we think about raising our children in the instruction of the Lord, uh, let me ask us first to just consider what an awesome privilege it is to have a child. It is a remarkable thing, the birth of a baby. Uh, anyone who's ever experienced the birth of a child knows how it immediately changes you and how, how there is this overwhelming sense of, of love and, and gratitude that comes with the birth of a child. Uh, Psalm 127 speaks about the blessing of this. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So contrary to some who this week made national news by declaring that they were going to boycott children because they believe it is cruel to bring new children into the world of climate change. The Bible says children are always to be received and recognized as a blessing from the Lord. And whatever the circumstances that led to the birth of a child, every child is a blessing from the Lord, created in the image of God, full of dignity to be loved and to be cared for. 
We ought to consider the joys that a child brings. We ought to consider how having a child gives you a glimpse at the heart of God. Uh, One of the ways that uh, we might get a glimpse at the Father's love for us as His children is by, for some, having that experience of being a father or a mother and knowing something of your own love for your child. Uh, When you think about how much you love your child, the degree of what you would go through for their sake, what you would give up for their sake, how far you would go for their sake, and then you realize that your love for your child is a shadow, a small comparison of God's love for you. That's a wonderful Wonderful thing. But then just as it is an awesome privilege to have a child, consider that it is an awesome responsibility to be entrusted with a child. And why is that true? It's true because there is a soul at stake. Having a child is different than having a pet. Okay? Or maybe in our day I need to say it this way. Your pet is not a child. I know there are a lot of people who love their dogs and love their cats. And you know what? I had a childhood dog and I loved my dog and I get it. But your dog and your cat is not a child. Okay? There is something different about parenting a human being. And one of the differences is that that human being has an eternal soul. And that as that child grows and as you have influence on that child and as you train up that child, you are dealing with an eternal soul. Then you think about the one who has entrusted you with this responsibility. Think about the fact that it is God who has made you a father or a mother. And that ultimately he has given you this responsibility for which you will answer to him. How did you shepherd that soul? How did you care for that soul? When we think about giving an account before God one day for how we parented a soul, all of us should suddenly feel our need for God's grace. All of us should immediately feel our need for who is able to handle such responsibility. And then we also must consider the fact that as Christians, our parenting will either beautify or tarnish the gospel. As Christians, everything we do affects the way people think of the gospel. How many people in Rocky Mount today use as their excuse for they're not at church this morning, well, I know some Christians and they're pretty terrible people. Well, I know some believers. I have co-workers at work, and they're all the time lying over here or you're cheating over there, and then they talk about going to church. I don't want to be around those people. As Christians, the way we fulfill every calling God has given us either adorns the gospel, calls people to, to want to give it a real listen and, and consider it and understand it, or it pushes people away from the gospel. And certainly... The children of believers, the way we train them up and the impact that they have on the world will speak volumes to people, either positively or negatively, about our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and the gospel that we profess. Well, consider that parents are primarily responsible to provide the instruction in the formative years that will shape the future adult. Who does God give the primary responsibility to cultivate and instruct and train up a child? Well, it's right here in our verse. It is, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Note that the command is given first to fathers. And that might strike us as odd. After all, in most cultures and most contexts throughout history, it has not been the fathers who are most consistently every day engaged in interacting with the children. It has been the mothers. And so it might make you wonder, why does God not give this command to the, the mothers? Mothers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the reason is that God is speaking here to those who are called to lead the way. And men are called to be the leaders of their home. Uh, If their home is a ship, the man is called to be the captain of the ship. It does not mean that he will necessarily do the bulk of the teaching. But it does mean that the father is to be overseeing this. It does mean that the father is to be leading the way. In the way that the children are being trained and taught. It doesn't even mean that father and mother are going to be doing all the teaching. No, not at all. But it does mean that they are the ones responsible before God to make sure that the child is brought up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That is the charge that they have been given. The state has not been given that charge. Uh, A village has not been given that charge. Parents may make use of all sorts of resources and tools and institutions that God has providentially put around them. But the charge is given to parents. So if parents are to be the ones who are instructing their children as they grow, what is that instruction to include? Well, first and foremost, it is to be religious instruction. Uh, Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord. The things that God has taught and that He has revealed through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that parents are to be teaching their children the truths about who God is. Nothing is more fundamental than that. Uh, you are shaped by your view of God. The smaller your view of God, the the smaller your respect for Him will be, the smaller your fear of Him will be, the smaller your regard for pleasing Him will be, the less you will be concerned about morality, the less you will be concerned about your soul. Small views of God lead to small people. Where it is those who have a big view of God. Who know Him as the sovereign Lord. The one who is omniscient and omnipresent, transcendent and imminent, uh, infinitely wise. Uh, The one who is both just and yet merciful, uh, patient and kind, and yet also uh, does not allow iniquity to go unpunished. 
It is those who know these realities who have a real regard for God that affects the way they live and sees the world. There is nothing more important for parents to make sure that their children know than who God is, His character, and His works. Related to that, parents are to teach their children the instructions of God, the commandments that have been passed down from Him. Uh, There is a morality given from God that all people know inherently. It's instinctual in them. We don't have to teach people that murder is wrong. They know that murder is wrong. But alongside that natural revelation, God has called for Christian parents to pass on to their children special revelation. Those instructions and commands from God that we are to, to, to give to our children about what it looks like to follow Him. Uh, what has the Lord your God required of you? But that you do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Okay, what does that look like to do justice? Our culture is so confused about that right now. We, we have such a misunderstanding of what justice even is. So God graciously gives us command after command that explains, here's what it looks like to do justice. Well, okay, but what does it look like to love mercy? When should I be forgiving and when should I not be forgiving? When do I show compassion? When do I not show compassion? Jesus related to the Pharisee one way. He related to the the prostitute another. How do we know what it looks like to love mercy? Well, we have command after command in the pages of the Bible that help us flesh that out. And what does it look like to walk humbly with your God? What does it look like practically to have a relationship with God? Well, the Bible gives us commands. We're not to let our children be ignorant of these things. We're to pass these things on. We're to to make sure that they know them and that they understand them. We're to seek to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. That includes these truths, not only about who God is, but what He has commanded and the things that He has done in this world. But of course, with all of this, there is the most important truth that parents are to pass on to their children. And it is the message of the gospel itself. Uh, No parent has succeeded in raising their children in the instruction of the Lord if they haven't made sure that their children know the gospel and have heard the gospel over and over and over again. It is the message of the gospel that is the source of our strength and our joy. It is the message of the gospel that reconciles us to God. It is the message of the gospel that God uses to make us new creations. No parent can save their child. No parent can change the heart of their child. Don't we long to? <laughs> Sometimes, don't we? Don't we wish we could reach in there and just make? But we know that what the Spirit of God uses to make children, to make adults, To make anybody a new creation in Christ is the message of the gospel. So we want our children to hear it and to know it and to believe it. And so we make sure that they understand the holiness of God. We make sure that they understand the sinfulness of man. We make sure that they understand the message of Christ crucified as a substitute for sinners. Doing everything necessary that sinners can be made right with God. We make sure that they understand that the way of salvation 
is that of turning from sin and following the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on his name and what he has done. I love the story about the man who was, what, in his 80s, leaning up on his fence on his farm, and he remembered from when he was a child, seven, eight years old, having heard George Whitfield preach. And it wasn't until then in his 80s that remembering that message from when he was a little kid that the gospel clicked for him, and he turned from his sins and believed. Oh, kids, let me be clear. If you will turn to Christ and follow him while you are younger... God will spare you from so much trouble in the future. Believe, believe, turn from your sins and believe today. But parents, while we're not in control of the timing, as long as we've taught our children the gospel and they breathe, there is hope. As long as we've taught them the gospel and they breathe, there is hope for their souls. So let's make sure that we have given them the gospel. Now, raising up our children in the instruction of the Lord, I think, does mean more than just knowing the truths of God about that we might properly call theological truths or religious truths. Raising our children in the instruction of the Lord also includes general instruction. That is, we want to make sure that our children have anything that can better equip them to walk with God and serve Him in this life. We don't know what God might call our children to do or to be. We don't know what their futures are going to hold. But certainly part of raising them up in the instruction of the Lord is seeking to prepare them and make them as useful to Christ as we possibly can by giving them character instruction and instruction and skills that will go far in this world. And then, of course, there is the verse that we quoted this morning. In our call to worship, Romans eleven thirty six, All things are from him and through him and to him. To God be glory forever. Amen. Which means the right way to understand anything is in its relation to God. So that even if we are participating in a public school system or a private school system and that our children are learning about science or history or literature in those places, it is the obligation of Christian parents to make sure that what's being added to that education is, yeah, that's from God. Yes, it's through God. It's part of God's providence. That uh, D-Day, just had D-Day that happened here. A providential moment in the history of this world. It is why we're not here as Nazi-speaking Germans. Not German-speaking Nazis. (laughs) Right? I mean, such an important day. And we need to make sure our children, by the way, understand what what took place on that day and how momentous it was. Right? So how did that day... Is it just a historical event for our kids to learn about at school? No, 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 no. God brought about that day. And there was glory of God in that day. It was a part of his providential plan that ultimately will result in the day when Christ is glorified. That all things are from him and through him and to him. And it's our goal and our charge as Christian parents to make sure our children see everything as it is connected to God. Otherwise, we don't understand anything rightly. So raise up our children in the instruction of the Lord, making sure they have that religious instruction. And then general instruction, when it's understood rightly, is also religious because it is all about God. 
okay? Practically speaking, then, how do we do this? How do we bring up our children in the instruction of the Lord? First and foremost, our example. Yes, our children learn from what we say. They learn more from what we do. They learn more from the way we live around them and the character that we present to them. So often we find ourselves saying to our kids, do as I say, not as I do. But in realistic terms, they learn from what we do. And they will disregard what we say when our doing doesn't match our saying. And so it is so important for Christian parents to realize that the primary way they instruct their children is by the life they are living before their eyes. The example that they are setting. When we think about how Jesus trained his disciples... Yes, there were, there were formal times of teaching where he sat down with his disciples and he taught them. But so much of the training up of the disciples happened as they walked with Jesus, as they watched him, as they saw him interact with people, as they looked at the way that he cared for this person or that person, as they saw the way he responded to this argument or that argument. It was the living example of his life that was affecting them and changing them so that when he did sit down and teach them, his his teaching had power because of how he had modeled it. So we teach by our example. Uh, Yes, there should be formal times of teaching. Uh, Whether this looks like formal uh, worship, uh, family worship in the home, parents sitting down with children, Uh, talking through things, uh, giving instruction to the children in that way, Uh, whether it's making use of uh, the gifts that God has given us in institutions like the local church and making sure that there's formal times of teaching there. There needs to be time with, with our children where they are sitting down and just receiving teaching. And God has created children in such a way that they are more open to this when they are younger than we are when we are older. Uh, don't we acknowledge those of us who are getting older? It gets harder and harder for us to learn new things. We, we become set in our ways. It's as if your brain is like slowly setting, setting cement, right? And, and as you get older, the cement begins to harden and harden. Whereas when you're young, you're just ready to learn, ready to learn, ready to memorize, ready to understand, ready to, to take it in, take it in. This is part of the design of God. And so that means for parents, they're to make sure that Children have these opportunities where they are receiving that formal instruction. But then we also raise up our children in the instruction of the Lord through informal, spontaneous times of teaching. And I bet many of us in this room could think of things that our mom or dad said to us that have stuck with us for the rest of our lives. And it wasn't that they were sitting us down in a formal time of teaching. It was that you were just going along and something happened or an experience took place and your parents just said, this is a moment. And they just taught you right there. They, they said something. They, they put some proverb in your life. They, they passed on some truth to you that has stuck with you ever since that day. So much of teaching happens as you are going along. Uh, this is exactly the, the pattern of, of Deuteronomy 6, is it not? That great command that uh, God gives there. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. All right, how do we make sure that these words are on the hearts of our children? 
How do we get the word into our children's hearts? Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. It should be a part of everyday life. We're constantly instructing all the time as we are around our children. Church, this is also why those of you who do not have children in the home are having an impact on the children of the church. Because when they're around you, whether you're walking around, whether you're talking with them, whether we're just meeting each other in the hallway here at church, they're watching. They're learning from your example. And there are spontaneous moments where the things you say can have a real impact on their lives for great good, for great harm. I wonder how many in here grew up in a church. And you remember people in your church growing up who were not directly related to you, but something they said to you. Attention that they showed to you, care they gave for you, impacted you, and shaped you as a person. And of course, the local church ought to be a part of what parents use in raising their children up in the instruction of the Lord. Now, wait a minute. How do we make sense of this? Why would Jesus call us to give our children all of this teaching and to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord if they do not have the Holy Spirit within them. Doesn't the Bible say that without the Holy Spirit, all of these spiritual truths, all of these glorious realities, it's going to be just throwing seed onto asphalt, right? Nothing's going to stick. Nothing's going to last. It's a, it's a, it's a vain effort. So why would God call us to give all of this teaching to children before they are born again? Before they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in their souls, opening their eyes, making their hearts ready to receive it? Well, that is one particular question that one of the pastors in Romania asked me to address. So, a couple things. Number one, it is true That apart from the Holy Spirit, our children will not have hearts to believe God's truth or to trust in Christ or to obey God's commands. That that is true. Jesus told his disciples that apart from him, they could do nothing. Meaning nothing truly good was going to come from their lives. Nothing truly good in the sight of God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we recently saw as a church in Romans 14, everything that is not of faith is sin. So until our children have come to faith, their life, just like our lives used to be, will be full of constant sin. Even their best acts of obedience will still be sin at the bottom. Because they're springing from a heart of unbelief that is rebelling against God. That is, that is all true, biblically true. But then second, the lostness of our children does not mean that we should hold back from teaching our children God's truth or calling them to trust Christ or urging them to obey God's commands. First of all, the commands of God are true for all people regardless of their spiritual state. 
We don't say that you, you should not use the commands of God or apply them to people if they're not believers. It is God who says you shall not murder. And we understand that applies to everyone. And you are fine to tell somebody without the Holy Spirit that it is wrong to murder. The command to believe on Jesus. And it is a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to be given to all people regardless of their spiritual state. And if we waited and said we're not going to tell people to believe on Jesus unless we think they already have the Holy Spirit, we've got things backwards. And nobody would ever be saved. Because it is through the message that the Spirit works to bring faith and to come and dwell people. Third, our prayer should be that God would be at work in and through our teaching. To bring our children to faith and obedience. Let me say that again. Our prayer should be that God would work in and through our teaching to change the hearts of our children, to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to God. And fourth, we should never act surprised by the sins of our children. We should never say, I just can't believe you did this, or I just can't believe you would do that. No, our theology tells us our kids are sinners just like we are. We should never be surprised by their sin, but rather we should use those moments of sin as opportunities to point them to their inability to obey without a new heart, their need for Christ, their need for salvation. Disciplinary moments are gospel moments in a Christian family. And we ought to seize those moments where the kids are aware of their fallenness, aware of their sin, aware of their hearts that are pulling them away from God. And those moments of awareness, we ought to push them and point them and urge them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. I've covered five of the ten principles I wanted to cover And so we're going to save the rest for tonight, and then we will have a time of questions and answers at the end. Would you join me now? Let's pray that God will bless us in this endeavor of raising our children in the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we 